Welcome to Inside Pediatrics, a podcast brought to you by Children's Hospital of Alabama in Birmingham. I'm Tiffany Kazarowski, and today we're talking with Dr. Bennett Pierce, who is a pediatric cardiologist at Children's of Alabama and UAB, the University of Alabama at Birmingham. He is a professor and medical director of heart transplantation and heart failure at the Pediatric and Congenital Heart Center of Alabama. Welcome, Dr. Pierce. Thank you. February is Heart Month here at Children's of Alabama and across the country, and we celebrate in a big way. So we're talking to you about pediatric heart transplant today. And uh, 1981, the first pediatric heart transplant was performed. Do you remember where you were, Dr. Pierce? Yes, I remember. I, I was in medical school. And then the first adult transplant, of course, happened several years earlier. In the 1960s, Christian Barnard. Okay. And I was in grammar school. And you read his book, right? I read his book. He had a book called One Life. It was an autobiography, and it was uh, one of the choices we, we got for book reading in grammar school, and it was late grammar school, and I read that book. And do you think that's, that's what sparked your interest in being a pediatric cardiologist or being a cardiologist in general or just knowing more about the heart? I think just knowing more about the heart and mm-hmm. interest in transplant. And, of course, after the 1960s, um, the, we didn't really have the um, medication to prevent the rejection. So although Dr. Barnard and, and people like him tackled the technical challenges of the transplant, preventing rejection in a safe way afterwards didn't happen until the 1980s. So the pediatric heart transplant team here at Children's of Alabama does, does a wonderful job. Um, one of the things that you all work with is technology. Tell us about some of the technology that allows the heart transplants to happen or a bridge to transplant to happen, as some of these uh, pieces of hardware do. Well, as you may know, the um, waiting period for a heart transplant for children is the highest mortality of any organ of any age. Wow. So a big challenge to us is and has been and will be how to get the kids safely to a point where they can receive a transplant and they can wait successfully for a donor mm-hmm. to arrive. And our armamentarium has improved over the years with the advent of these mechanical devices, uh, circulatory support devices, LVADs, left ventricular assist devices. Okay. And we have now several to, to choose from. Uh, perhaps the best known one is Berlin Heart for Children. Mm-hmm. And we've had great success with that device since 2005 here in our program. So describe what the Berlin Heart looks like and what it does for those kids who are waiting for a transplant? Well, it's a a pump that actually sits outside of the patient's body. It takes blood from the left ventricle or from the left atrium and returns it to the aorta. And you can actually see the pumping action. It has mechanical valves in it. Mm -hmm. It usually rests on the outside of the child, uh, usually on the abdomen. Um, And we watch closely for a formation of clots. We, we um, manage the anticoagulation. And in the right patient, it, it, it does wonders. How long would a child be on a device like that? It just depends? Months to uh, up to a year. Okay. Sometimes even longer. Okay. So while they're waiting for that heart transplant, this device helps them to get the blood through their body. Right. It sort of takes the place of part of their heart. Mm-hmm. It allows their other organs to work. Mm-hmm. because those other organs are receiving fresh amount of blood all the time. So it allows us to rehabilitate the children in some cases. Mm-hmm. 
allows us to get them off the respirator, feed them, and make them a good candidate for to ultimately receive a heart. And so we talked about Berlin Heart. What about a heart wear? It's a mechanical heart device, left ventricular assist device usually. And that one works a little differently. It's completely implantable except for one little wire that, that goes to a power supply and control unit that exits the patient. Okay. The wire that exits the patient's no larger than some of our central venous lines. Mm-hmm. So that's a well-tolerated device in the right patient. And, and the nice thing about that one is you can actually send the patient home for a period of time. Oh, wow. And so we've had great success with that device since 2011 in our program. And I'm sure the parents appreciate that, being able to have their children home with them. Yes, they do. It is it, it, Home with that device is a special challenge. They need to be trained. Mm-hmm. Our uh, transplant coordinators and VAD coordinators will go out not only and train the family, they'll train the local EMS personnel, they'll train the local emergency room personnel. Mm-hmm. And we've had those devices in patients at home in all corners of our state, north, south, east, and west. What do you think about some of the research that's coming out of UAB and Children's uh, regarding heart transplant? Tell us about some of that. Share some of that with us. Well, we're lucky here to have the largest uh, pediatric heart transplant registry here at UAB. It was started under Dr. Kirkland, and that's called the Pediatric Heart Transplant Study. And that's the source of most of the information that we use every day in making clinical decisions and talking to parents. So there's always ongoing research with the Pediatric Heart Transplant Study since about the mid-1990s. And that's a collaborative effort, right? So we, M- Multiple we institutions it. in mm-hmm. the U.S. and Canada and worldwide now. Wow. But it's housed here at UAB. And so we've been participating in that since its beginning. Uh, other research that we're doing is um, research on agents to try to improve our immune suppression uh, for children. These these agents that we use to prevent rejection are strong medicines, mm-hmm. and they can cause problems and almost always do cause problems after a lifetime of exposure. Okay. So we're trying to cut back on those. We're trying to look for less toxic substitutes. Okay. So in other words, after a, a child does receive a heart transplant, they're receiving these medications, multiple medications. Lifelong. To help them so that their heart is never rejected by their body. Correct. Okay. Tell me about the uniqueness about this program, about the Pediatric Advanced Heart Failure and Transplant Team here. Well, this this program actually began in conjunction with the Adult Transplant Program with Dr. Kirkland, uh, and I believe it was even before 1990 that they did the first uh, pediatric heart transplant, but it got going in earnest in the early 1990s. And, and I moved here in about 1993 and received the opportunity to work with Dr. Kirkland in the heart transplant program. We worked together for, for many years before we moved the program here to Children's when mm-hmm. the new facility was built in 2012. Right. At that time, we were under the umbrella of the adult transplant program. So even though for administrative purposes we're a new program here at Children's, mm-hmm. it's been the same people working together. The coordinators... Uh, myself, Dr. Wally Carlo, Dr. Kirkland's actually retired. Dr. Wally Carlo Jr. works with me. Um, we've hired a new physician, Dr. Leslie Collins. She's going to be working with us, but she's been here for a number of years already. Mm-hmm. And we have an excellent surgical team. Dr. Bob Dable is our surgical director of heart transplant. He came to us in 2008, and so he overlapped considerably with Dr. Kirkland and worked with him. And so he brings a lot of experience to our program. 
And we also have Dr. David Mockley, who uh, joined us in the last couple of years and who has a, a great deal of experience and interest in children with mechanical circulatory support devices and heart transplant. Mm-hmm. So we feel like we have a very experienced surgical team. And our coordinators are all people that worked in the transplant area at UAB, so they're not new to the process. Right. Although, in for administrative purposes, it's a relatively new program after mm-hmm. 2012, it's clinically a very mature program with very, very low personnel turnover, which is key for the uh, families that form relationships with the people that they work with, uh, which ensures uh, expertise. People who do it every day and have done it for a long time, right. uh, a lot of experience, brings a lot of advantages to our families. How many heart transplants have you guys performed to date? Well, we've done 176 since 1981 and uh, 59 heart transplants uh, in children since 2012. And how long do you follow these kids? I know that there's definitely a transition period where they, you know, they need to be followed as adults or... Correct. We we follow them through their teenage years. We start them uh, in a transition program at about age 14. We're teaching them uh, independence. We're teaching them about their medications. We're teaching them how to give their medications, how to know when and where to seek medical care. And uh, that process goes on until they reach age 18 and they have their first visit in the adult heart transplant clinic. And they can just transfer over right Right down the street. They already know some of the doctors there. Correct. Yeah. And some of the doctors already know them. Right. And many times we've walked down there when there's been questions or uh, sometimes for their first uh, heart cath procedure with the adults. Mm -hmm. I've been the one doing their catheterizations for so many years. It's good for them to see a familiar face. So I'll walk down the street and make sure they know I'm there and make sure everything's okay. Right. And what do you think inspires you as a physician now? working with these kids who have grown up, you know, as transplant kids? Well, uh, there are lots of ways to be inspired. One is just the um, watching the difference it makes after their circulation improves once a successful heart transplant takes place. And then you watch the challenges that the families have. You watch them rise to these challenges, and that's inspirational. And then uh, I've had a number of these kids grow up, have families, mm-hmm. uh, have careers. Um, that, to me, is very, very inspirational, especially when some time has gone by before I, before I see them and I, and I run into them in a store, I run into them on the street. Right. Sometimes I don't even recognize them <laughs> until they say something. That's right. So that's very inspirational to, to see that. Absolutely. Anything else that you wanted to share about about the team, about the program, about our uniqueness here in the Southeast? Well, I, I think that we're lucky here that we um, we have a, a good mature program. We have something that we can really offer to these families, a product that that all of us who work on the team feel good about being a part of. And not only do we provide this clinical care, but just the the program itself provides a, a locus for research, a locus for education. This uh, people visit with our program all the time. Doctors from other states. Right. So we, we're, we're engaged with the community in ways beyond just the clinical care. Uh, employment. Look at all the people that, that, that help us with this program. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's one of the real joys of the program is working with all the different disciplines. We, we've got social work, pastoral care, uh, child life, mm-hmm. pharmacy, um, psychology, 
uh, not to mention all the other physician specialties that, that, that help us and take care of these patients every day. Uh, I think that's the most fun for us is to, to, to be able to work with all these excellent clinicians in other ways every day. Yeah, that's truly inspiring as well. Thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Yes, Pierce. thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to Inside Pediatrics. More podcasts like this one can be found at childrensal.org forward slash inside pediatrics.